can. This is arbitrarily deterministic. Here on KeithFM.com. Arbitrarily deterministic is the show where we talk to people who are blurring the lines between art, technology, and popular culture. On this show, we often talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are things that exist on the blockchain that prove that you own a piece of artwork that allows you to buy and sell that piece of artwork and it pays artists and supposedly pays artists in perpetuity if people actually adhere to the rules laid out. Today I have one of these artists that buys and sells these NFTs on the Ethereum and Tezos blockchain. Perhaps he does other places, we'll ask him. Revdan Cat. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you very much. Good. Hey, Dan, why do I have you on the show? I'm going to assume it's for my dashing good looks. Yes. And my uh, wonderful singing voice. Hey, you want to go ahead and just kick off 433 right now? You ready to go? Yeah, okay. Let me just go grab the sheet music for it. (laughs) Okay, we'll do a short version. I'll just do the first four seconds. You ready? Yep, go. Okay, there we go. Lovely. That was incredible. Thank you. It was incredible. I can't believe you were able to do it so well. Man. I know, but I still need the music in front of me. Otherwise, I'd lose track. Dude, I'm literally shaking right now. Literally. It was so good. Um, anyway, no. <laughs> I'm glad we can make that joke. It's so good that you did that piece that that's really funny. But yeah. Um, so, Dan, what, 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 how do I know you? Uh, you know me from all the discords and that thing that used to be called Twitter, ah. where uh, we've interacted a few times and we I think we've had our eye on very similar aesthetics and interest in how people collect and also display their work. So that's where we've bumped up against each other. It's true, actually. We, we I think like our first real, I mean, of course, we were, you know, interacting with the standard stuff at some point, but we really kind of got into a pretty good conversation one day on discord about community curation and that for me was really um eye-opening it was also it helped me kind of think through some of the stuff and since that day i've thought about it a lot and that's kind of why that's you know from i never really say why i have people on but i'm the reason i have you on today is because i really want to talk to you about about that but before we do that i want to give you i want you to give a little bit of backstory about um who you are and what you do, because I don't know that everybody knows kind of who you are and what you do. And um, it would be interesting to, to just kind of break it down. So I know that you um, are a generative artist, but what do you think about generative art? And when you're, what do you think about yourself as a generative artist? What do I think about myself? Well, something, something that a lot of people won't know about me is just like you, I'm quite old, uh, but only in, <laughs> only in age, not in, in how we feel about all this new technology and stuff. So I'm 50. Mm-hmm. So when I started doing art a long, long time ago, it was with um, home computers like the BBC Micro and things like that. And I was always fascinated in creating stuff, but I was terrible at drawing. I could not draw to save my life. And all my art classes were all about, oh, draw this and draw that. And they had one computer in the corner that I just spent my time on. 
And I realized that I could make that computer do art for me. And then as I progressed through like the education system, I could fi- I got interested in photography and then found out I could feed those photos into the computer and start manipulating them in certain ways. And I found that fascinating, but it also took too much time. So I, that's the point that I started getting into the, the programming of computers mm-hmm. because, I mean, computers back in those days were really slow, but that was part of their beauty for me. So I started coding with the idea that I'll leave the computer to generate art overnight and then come back and see what it had produced in the morning. <laughs> and it'll produce like 100 or 200 pieces and then pick and choose from those which ones I liked and and then make it do more of that type of thing. So I spent the start of my degree sort of training computers to make art for me so I could hide the fact that I couldn't draw at all and try to, in my head, pass it off as as real art to my tutors, which I sometimes got away with and sometimes they weren't having any of it. They were like, this isn't real art at all. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And then coming, coming out of my degree, I basically had a choice of either carrying on doing art that people weren't sure about or taking a job working for the internet, uh, the World Wide Web that had just started. Mm-hmm. So I went down that route and then spent the next 20 years trying to get back into doing art and kind of finding myself in a situation of producing the type of art where people go, but, but is that really art? <laughs> is that uh, real art? Fun. I don't know if that's real art or not, man. <clears throat> Did you use your hands to do it? That's the real question. <laughs> okay. Uh, only, the, only the very ends. <laughs> That's, an, that's such a dead answer. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you've been making generative art for a pretty long time, but, and via code and, but it, it started from this other thing. And when you were, you were doing that and then you went into this real world to get a real job to do that. Were you always making art throughout that stretch as well, just to keep yourself occupied? Uh, yeah. When I could, again, it was the idea of, of, I love the idea that computers do things for us. Mm-hmm. So the the idea that I could write some code and give it to the computer to do and then go off and look after the children or then go cook dinner or go go do something else and then come back to have art waiting for me. That that was always the appeal rather than me having to sit at the computer um, producing the art. Of course, we all know the answer is that I actually spend hours programming late at night yeah. to save myself. Yes, I start thinking, oh, I'm going to save myself loads of time by then spending the next three and a half months programming some code <laughs> rather than spending one month just creating art. But yeah, so, so that's where it... <laughs> yeah, That's how that plays out. That's the give and take of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always the give and take of that. Um, but the, when, I, when I was growing up, it wasn't called generative art at that point. There was actually a term called, um, uh, what's it called? Like organic art... Um, uh, uh, not generative anyway i can't remember but the idea was that you sort of bred these these different things together um uh, it's escaping me what it's called at the moment but it was all before ai where they thought oh we're going to get computer programs to to breed and mutate and they'll evolve like evolutionary art that's the phrase mm-hmm. and evolutionary coding where through fitness tests the survival of the fittest will produce the best computer program and uh, there's this person called william lathan who also applied it to art as well but we've since le- since learned 
that obviously computers cheat every time they've had one of these things like how do you evolve a walking thing they've always gone i'm going to be a really tall stick that then falls over and then the other end of me has reached the target um so that people kind of gave up on that bit of it <laughs> it's like asking the computer to complete to, to redesign itself right um, yeah, exactly. And the, the computers always cheat. They always find a loophole and they'll always do this other thing you're not expecting. And sometimes that comes into the art, you, you know, with generative art now, you'll start coding and you'll have an idea in your head for how you want things to look. And then you come back to it and you realize that, that your, your algorithm actually turns out to do something different. And either you can choose to go down that route or you can try to get it back on track. Yeah, yeah. Dan, are are you really a reverend? Yes. Yes, I am. Really? So uh, do you have a flock? Uh, no, it comes from my my friend heard. I think it, uh, he heard that you could get ordained on the internet. <laughs> and then once you're ordained, you can perform these wedding services. And he wanted me to perform his wedding service. So he's like, hey, Dan, you, uh, you know, understand the internet. You get ordained. So there was this little place called Modesto, just outside California, and you went online. It's like the Universal Life Church, and you click a button, and then it goes, "Oh yes, you're now a reverend of our church." Uh, so that's how that happened. <laughs> but I will tell you uh, not quite a funny story about it. I was just finishing being a student at the time, and I had my student overdrafts, and I had the bank phoning me up, sort of going hey, you're overdrawn. You've got to get the money back in by Friday or else we're going to charge you all these fees. And it's at that time that I was uh, getting new um, bank cards done. And over here in the UK, they put your title on the card as well. They don't do that in the States. And because I'd just become a reverend, I filled in all the forms and I put my title as a reverend. <laughs> and once I had the new cards, the, the next day, the bank phoned me up and they're like, Oh, hello, Reverend Cat. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry to tell you, but um, you're slightly overdrawn. But it's okay if you just see your way to popping the money in, like maybe by the end of next week. And I was like, you know what? I quite like this. I think I'm going to keep it. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good because it changes how people respond to you, doesn't it? Oh, Dan, it's gone. There you are. Hello? Oh, no. Live radio. Have you lost it? Nah, there we go. Now you're back. I'm back again. I have to apologize for that. I'm in my art studio, and the one thing that I didn't check when I moved in was how good the internet is, and it turns out it's running down one copper wire. So if I drop in and out, that's I have to apologize for that. Yeah, that's the uh, rural rural English uh, internet, right? That's what that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in the UK, they were as soon as there's a reverend mentioned, they were all sort of, oh, yes, yes. And then I went to the States. And I, well, I went to uh, live in San Francisco for three years, and they don't care. They absolutely uh, do not care if you have a reverend or not. And then I was on the flight on the way back from America, touch ground in the UK, and in the UK they're like, oh, reverend cat again. I was like, yeah, okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to hang here now. This is my thing. Like, you know, yep. the Church of Slack, you could just say that, you know, you're Church of Class, you know, and so you can just kind of play backwards there. Um Church of Cows actually is probably better to, to say that. So when we were talking about community curation, I hadn't really, you know, to, to be honest, I had put a lot of thought already into to what DECA was doing. I didn't understand that DECA was going to go so far down the, down the path that they've gone down. Um, but when we were 
when we were initially talking about it, I was thinking, you know, what this is going to do is it's going to create um, a whole lot of people who think that they have taste and that because that they are going to confuse price with taste, price action with taste. And I think that that was maybe a little bit um, me being shitty that day. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, like at the same time, I, I still kind of feel that, but I, I maybe have, maybe that was overstepping a, a little. Um, do you recall when, what, what, when I said that? Do you recall? like how, how? Yeah, I do. But I am interested to know where you're at now because you said you've changed your view over the past few months. So where, where are you at now? I mean, I'm still kind of there, of course. Like, I still right. think that that's kind of a weird idea that, you know, that we think good art, it, you know, costs a lot. Um, and, you know, it should cost a lot or for some reason. Um, and I think that a lot of the people that we, that we deal with somehow confuse, you know, good art with a, a, costing a lot. Um, and, but... I will say that I think that those some of those same people are getting into it and understanding what, that good art doesn't have to cost a lot, and they're including some of these things in their decas that they or in their other curated galleries that they're using things that don't cost a lot, but they firmly believe is good art in their way, and maybe their eyes are changing and growing due to this. This is going to create a whole new layer of collector. But it's and it's and it's creating a whole new layer of undereducated collector, but they're educating themselves on what's good right now, right? And so yeah, that's the this is the this is where I've changed. Is I'm 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 better with this. <laughs> I think at first I was not okay with that. <laughs> I think at first I because I couldn't see it. I couldn't really see. It. I was just like, what? They're all just gonna ape each other and think that that's good because this guy paid a million bucks for it. You know, and that's just silly. And it doesn't, you're not, you're not building any sort of real connection to it there. But now I kind of see it differently. I see that you actually are building some sort of connection to what you think of as being good aesthetics, you know? And so, and I guess that putting it in a DECA and organizing it in such a way where you're seeing it, and this is like, oh, this is actually telling a story about what I've deemed, you know, worthy of me spending my couple of bucks on. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I no, I, I think you're right there. It's what I found delightful about it is that there's this whole new generation of people who are call who say, oh, "I'm creating the art," and often that's at a very shallow level, which is fine. But it's like, oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have a collection that, ha that all matches this shade or is going to all be black and white. So they pick a common theme and then gather together work that all matches that theme. Yeah. And that's that's more of a collection than necessarily a curation, or, yeah. although it also is a curation. But then after that, you sort of have this next level up. So there's going to be lots of people all doing that. And then you have this next level up where people go just that one step deep deeper yeah. and uh, i mean ultimately with curation i believe that in museums in art galleries the creators trying to get pieces together that then have a have a connection and, and start a conversation between the two of them you have a piece on its own mm -hmm. and it's kind, kind of saying one thing and then you bring in a second piece to compare it to and then you can 
draw more out of the first piece because it's reflected against the second piece right. because the second piece is is not there's something other about the second piece and you kind of have this conversation going backwards and forwards between them uh, and i think because we because of the explosion in nfts and it has been an explosion there has suddenly been an explosion in amateur creators and some of those people will go on to become professional creators mm-hmm. and they're coming from this this new digital digital first gallery like the deck of galleries and then they'll get rolled back into galleries and museums that will, that will reach out to them but but yeah i, I think we're seeing the birth of the next generation of creators happening at the moment. Some are already sort of going, going up to the top. Yeah. The, the creators and the curators and the collectors. See, this is another thing is that I think a lot of, I think people, you're right. People, they, they mix up the word collector and curator and Mm -hmm. like the curated selection is one thing a curated collection is another thing, right? And so like this is a selection of work that I think is good for my collection. That's a nice way of saying something, or this is a curated selection of that thing. But curators do exactly what you just said. A curator actually builds, it works on multiple levels, not just from color, not just from, you know, uh, a, a type, you know, maybe sometimes you can have figurative and abstract and, you know, various other types of work all in the same sort of piece in the same show and have it curated and it fits because there are ties, you know, like you say, there's a conversation occurring and each piece in the show should have a conversation with the other pieces in the show somehow. I, I, yeah. I think. And so when, when we're when when we get these big deca galleries floating around out there that are just like look at all these grails i got you know i have this many grails of from this many collections and i have the best grailiest of the grailest ones because they cost a lot and i you know i'm kind of like well dude that doesn't mean anything you know like just because you have it it's like well now you have that one pokemon card that has the you know the most powerful you got the most powerful Pokemon way to go. And you know, that to me, it's like, that's how I feel like a lot of these guys are flexing. Right. And that was the earlier, that was kind of the earlier, you know, curmudgeon in me saying that now I'm, I'm a little bit less worried about that because what I've seen now is actually DECA is forcing people into other kind of thought processes, you know, or not just DECA, but Boutique or Gallery.so or any of these other things that are doing it. Um, you know, the, the Grail Grids from Tender are also quite interesting because you can think of them in a different manner. But, like, they're all, they're, they're good because I'm seeing people think twice about how they're, what they're putting into those things, you know? Like, just that they're not just buying everything. They're trying to figure out what fits in that particular part of that particular collection to make that puzzle right you know, to, to make it look better. They're still not curating it, but they're getting at least better at it. And we have to kind of, uh, it also, you know, I, this is what I think is occurring and I'm, you know, this is just me thinking out loud, but like things like DECA are now getting loads of information together about like people's habits, what they're interested in from a color perspective, what they like from art. They're going to be able to, these are like, this is like a, um, like a poll of sorts that museums can now buy this information from and say from this time period that the people were interested in these things, if they want, I don't know that they're doing this, but they could. 
and they could buy this package of information from Deco, or they don't even have to buy it. They could just, you know, use the aggregate, just look at the, just look at it. See how many people, how many Deca galleries have William Pan in it? You know, okay, that guy is clearly the winner of this thing because he's in everybody's Deca galleries, whether they own him or not, whether they own a piece from him or not, right? And so, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I mean, no, I mean, go on. No, no, you please, please. Uh, it's yeah, you're you're right about the the difference between like the collector and the curator. So, uh, so a lot of the if we think about tastemakers in like the fashion world or the art world or things like that, the, the tastemakers are sort of pushing their own bags to a degree, but but not in all cases. So sometimes people look at the big collectors to see what they're suddenly jumping into to buy, but that involves having to have money to do that. But a curator can come in. And so traditionally in a gallery world, if you're going to have set up a, a gallery show in a town or a city, you would pick a couple of headliners, a name that everybody knows to get people into the gallery. So you'd have a couple of pieces by Monet or, or whatever. And then you would have a couple of middle tier artists, let's say lesser well-known ones. And then a few, a couple of local artists to, to tie the collection to the local area. So there's that, that interest to people walking past or hearing about it. But then what the creator does is they try to spot three or four different like new artists who are pushing their envelope of what of what the what's being displayed in the gallery so they're trying to come up with the discover these up and coming artists but then explain to the viewer why they've been included what what's the through line between the main artist these uh, other less well-known artists the local artist and these new artists how are they how are they adding to to this area of art and i think that's the bit that's interesting for our curators and it doesn't take money to do that you don't need to buy the pieces to bring them together in a collection but you you do need to sort of have that understanding of where the new artists fit in or if they do fit in which i am I imagine it's very difficult at the moment because there's lots of new artists who are just exploring so many different areas that we won't really know for another year or two or three or five years how the artists developed. Did they carry on down that theme or was that just one thing they tried before moving on to another one? And there's quite a lot of that with our artists at the moment that I, I think they feel the pressure to always be doing a new, new thing from the collectors rather than being given the time to keep working through an idea through a number of iterations. I, I, maybe we're just starting there, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's I that. think that that also comes with the cash, you know, this, this cash grab that's kind of occurred, you know, like, <clears throat> like I think a lot of people are seeing it and they're like, shit, I could do that, you know? <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then they're just kind of jumping in and that's cool from the creator side, whatever, you know, that's what, that's what makes FX hash so awesome is that people can just go and do that. But it, it's up to the collectors to be able to pull a, pull that apart and look at it and go like, that's not finished. I'm not going to pay for that. You know what I mean? Like, I think in that sense, that's what, that's kind of that role of the collectors in, in that place, you know? And I'm, I'm okay with creators going in and just creating whatever the hell they're going to do. Like, that's fine. You know, like we're going to, we're, it's pretty easy to see what's good and what's not, you know, <laughs> like at least if you've been looking at it now, if you're not, looking at it. And that's what I think that this, these things, these, you know, these, uh, online 
galleries are going to do is they're going to force people to look at these things a little bit more and say like, that doesn't fit because it's not good. And a lot of those guys are just going to drop out. You know, a lot of these, yes. it's just going to, they're going to disappear whenever there's no money there because there's not going to be much money coming for the next couple of years. I wouldn't imagine. And maybe I'm wrong, but feels like that. That's uh, I, go down. Yeah. I think you're right. There's, there's a difference between, I mean, we, we, we don't know, we can't predict, but there, there is a kind of cash grabby type of thing which is again which is fine because it's bringing in i mean generative art is still such a tiny niche of the whole art world yeah. that if you compare people learning about watercolors or moving into illustration compared to people moving into generative art it's still such a, a narrow field to have this this mini explosion of lots of people just coming in and trying lots of things yeah 90 percent of them 95 percent will drop out because they can't they can't make a career out of it mm-hmm. but but some people will stick around and it's those people that i like we can't pronounce his name but we know him as roxanne, oh, yeah, roxanne. Um, <laughs> that's what we've just decided he's roxanne now uh, you can see there's there's definitely thematic things coming in through his work and and is being explored uh, and that is, I, I think he's an artist that will continue to develop uh, it, it in, anyway, we don't need to speak more about that. We, we all know that he's going to develop in that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, so, so it's good. But, but you're, you're right about people dropping out. And again, the role of the curator of, of spotting the new trends. So I, I often talk about um, Damien Hurst and his spots project mm-hmm. uh, which is a series of works made of colorful spots that span over 11 years and it starts off quite simply with these different colored spots being arranged in a grid but you can only do that for so long before we then explore about sizes or dimensions or having them a huge wall or having small spots and then having them in the circle and then having them done irregularly and then putting them into different mediums, like on the inside of a building. But that's 11 years to explore quite a simple idea. And there, he was doing other stuff at the same time, but there, there's a good through line there. And if we look at like Roxanne, that there's like one, two years. That's the first one, two years of that. There's another nine years that Roxanne could be exploring this area, but it's whether the collectors would be happy to continue to to pay if they're looking for that if they're investing in an artist then it's worth doing if they're looking to sort of short-term flip the art then it's probably harder for them to to invest in another piece that is kind of an evolution of a a slight evolution of a previous piece so i think that's still got to mature we're still looking for for this area of pinning down the artists who are who are working artists who are going to stick with it um and again i think the curator, not the collectors, but I think the curator's role is to start to try to draw attention to to those type of artists and uh, kind of argue their case. But it is difficult if they're also pumping their own bags. But mm-hmm. uh, so it is tricky. It is. I mean, in, you know, in the traditional art world, art manager type people exist, right? And this is now a model that's sort of beginning to take hold. I've, I've noticed over in, in, in this generative art world as well. Right. Annika taking on this, um, 
thing to put together this deal for the Franca Institute, you know, this Herbert Franca Institute thing that she did. That is awesome. That is what we need. We need a lot of that. You know, we need like somebody to take one or two people and champion those one or two people and push it through. And that's how we're going to kind of like build these, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, brands, you know, like Damien Hurst is a brand. We know him because his, his name is everywhere. And we know that his, his, his brand is synonymous with a certain level of quality, um, art, you know, from his time period, um, which is now still, of course, but like he made his name some years back, but yeah, I mean, it's true. And I think that the nature of this particular thing is because we have this accelerated timeline somehow um, in this world where we, we need this next dopamine fix. Um, we kind of somehow we want people to put something out all the time, but when they do, we punish them for it. Right. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny line and we just need the champions to start stepping up. And we need, you know, the champions to come up and be like, okay, I'm going to really start championing this guy's work. Now we're seeing this actually. Um, I, I'm, you know, like I said, with Annika and also with Tony um, Marinara really pushing Lars's work, Lars Wander's work. I've seen that he's really taken a serious shine to him and, and is really pushing his stuff. And, you know, I, having, we just had this conversation with Lars the other day and, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it's just, it's, it's fascinating how that's playing out, you know, there that this is occurring in 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 our little world of generative art that we have these people who are saying hey that guy's really fucking good and and deserves to be you know propped up um and i think that that's the the role of the curator slash manager slash you know people who are somewhat good at getting these this information out into the space somehow you know i don't know yeah and i think i think it's going to be somebody from our nft world Uh, when because obviously museums are starting to show NFTs and things like that, but it's still not really accepted by the mainstream because just because the name NFT, eventually that that phrase will go away and it will, it will just become like a digital art form or something like that. Uh, and and when we start bridging just it appearing in museums and things like that it will be again the creator who will be explaining how we got to this point or what the history behind it is or why this image this generative art image also belongs next to a rothko and how they're connected what what is the through line between this rothko and then this piece of generative art because there will be one um uh, and the, it's the creator's job to explain that to your regular museum goer in a way that doesn't sort of um, not turn them off, but doesn't confuse them or think like that. And that the creator who will be doing that, who will be working in physical buildings, will be somebody from our pool uh, of, 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 of NFT creators now. They will come from there. Do you think that the the role of the gallery, the physical gallery, is going to maintain its level of import? Uh, I think so. I think so, yes. There, there's still, people still like going, well, until the metaverse kicks off or something, which who knows. <laughs> yeah. uh, but people still like to go to the art gallery. Every time I'm down in London, I you know, I, I go around the galleries because you're standing in the space yeah. and you're 
standing right in front of the Rothko or in the National Portrait Gallery to be able to there's something about the physicality of being near the work which it seems important and again because the works there are certain rooms and in those rooms pictures have been put together and as you walk around the museum the story behind them sort of unfolds i i think that the nft and the digital and the generative artwork will live in those spaces as well as online of course but but there is then there does need to be more of a physicality about it mm-hmm. see that's the thing that i keep thinking about you know as a person who runs a gallery like <clears throat> is it imp- is it important to me I mean, you know like to me it's always going to be important but that's just because i'm a little bit older and i don't really and i haven't really thought about it. are other people going to think about it as importantly as i do i've asked people but i still haven't really thought much through from my perspective though i like to look at even generative art or anything else in in out in the wild and thought through in an actual space i think that it's 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 cool when it's thought through, you know, and it doesn't need to be anything other than just what it is. And that to me, I think is what a gallery is good at is just presenting the thing that it is. And without all of the other distractions, like your computer screen, like, you know, oh, you're looking at it in the house and then your kid comes running by and, you know, and you're really not able to spend proper amount of time thinking about it. But sometimes in the galleries too, you walk, you know, you're also not because you don't want to hog up that. I don't want to stand in front of the Mona Lisa all day. You know what I mean? So some, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think, I think the the step towards it a little bit would be when generative artists are hired to do an installation in a gallery. So they're doing a piece specifically for, for the space. So they'll go to the space. They'll take, account of the lighting the acoustics the the actual amount of wall how how the user will will move through the space and then build generative art for that and i know we have a little bit of that with and projection mapping when people do those immersive kind of experiences but again that still feels really early when people just go oh we'll put um the water lilies up on the wall or they do a very literal interpretation of the space they they measure it and then project onto those planes i think in a few years time when mixing um architecture and and that light mapping and projection mapping and generative art and people who have been bought in specifically to do that to fill in that space that'll be your exhibition and then there'll be other work shown as well so i don't think i don't think we stepped into that point yet and and that will definitely be coming in a few years time Mm -hmm. i think so too i think that we're just in the kind of you know nascent phases of this where we're kind of seeing it now we're seeing it also that it's becoming a digitally native thing and that's also you know this is why yeah I, I, exactly i mean I'm, I'm talking about this as an old person yeah. a 50 year old who, who still loves galleries but i uh, but there is definitely the space for these um the, the online galleries and uh, obviously you can start breaking away from from how three-dimensional spaces really work you, mm-hmm. you can shortcut things and have portals and jump through and and really uh, twist space and do things you can't do in the physical world. And the the people who are creating art and the people who are doing the creation are the people who grew up in those places, like the Club Penguins, the Haber Hotels, or all those online spaces. They're digital natives and watching what they're going to do. I, I, I mean, I've learned uh, as a parent, when I first had children, I was like, 
oh, I want them to have actual wooden toys and things like that because they're physical. And when they tire off them, I can sell them or give them to somebody else. But I soon learned that you end up treading on them. They make a mess. They get left all over the floor. And as soon as my kids got into like uh, Ro- Roblox or Minecraft and they wanted digital things, I was like, this is brilliant because it takes up no space. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the fact that these things live in a digital world. So obviously I'm looking at physical galleries because I love those physical spaces. But uh, but the, the, the people, I keep calling them kids, but there's 30-year-olds who grew up it, you know, with Club Penguin and things like that. Yeah. When they bring that type of aesthetic and that type of mindset with them the things that they will build are going to be fantastic and i probably won't understand half of them but i'm very excited to see them (laughs) i feel like that already though i feel like even though i'm pretty well plugged in i still feel like that there's like a whole bunch of shit i miss you know (laughs) every time i'm talking to somebody they use some kind of they say something and i'm like huh i need to remember to look that up later and, you know, sometimes I look things up, sometimes I forget. I was taking a course for a little while, like uh, history of the economics of the internet uh, seminar. And they were saying words. And, you know, like I was, I, I tell you the first day, I think I just wrote like 800 words down because <laughs> I didn't know what those what they were talking about. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what this is. I don't know what that is. And I felt that was one of the few moments where I felt old. What? Has this turned into uh, two old men talking about <laughs> how they feel old podcast? If, if we if we hit it. <laughs> I can't get out of bed anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I am thoroughly enjoying uh, hanging around in the discords and playing with art. It's the, the last the last year, um, particularly on FX Hash, being able to explore um, different styles of art, like going back to Bridget Riley, and um, what what was co- what's interesting for me is like the designers were public. There's this kind of fashion that things cycle around every twenty years, and it's funny to me that the designers like designers were public. Um, I can speak to people now, and they have no idea who they are. So it's allowing me to play with that aesthetic and and bring it back in some ways. So yeah, the, I I'm thoroughly enjoying taking my time about making art i don't feel compelled to make it really quickly but i am uh i'm loving the fact that i get to explore these different things so yeah it 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 doesn't i don't feel i don't feel old in that respect uh i feel informed i've done all my art history i've grown up with it i get to apply it and then i get to uh, steal things from the 1980s that the youngsters don't don't understand so it all looks new do you still do you listen to i I know you like music it's that's obvious because you've done a bunch of things that revolve around that but do you do you still search out new music or do you are you stuck in a in a in a loop uh i i search out new music but i wouldn't be able to to name name any of it um basically i just let spotify do its thing Ah. and i'm i'm actually horrified when i put a track on it it goes i'm gonna play you the rock music playlist god we're being old game yeah. and then it starts putting like the pixies and then zig zig sputnik into the same yeah. playlist going this is rock bon jovi and zig zig sputnik sure. and the pixies are like these aren't the same thing and spotify's no. like yeah it's old people music and you're like god damn it <laughs> uh, but, but I, I do just jump around into youtube and then oh hyper pop i've been loving hyper pop recently what's hyper pop um 
Uh, Hyper pop is this sort of thing where you get the kids coming in from Discord who have been into Minecraft and, and then just using very basic tools to chop out samples and then put them together with a ballady type of thing. But then they're talking, I don't know, like Charlie XCX is kind of a hyper pop artist so there's there's things like the voice changing and the speeding up and bringing in elements of computer games but still talking about your experience of a teenager uh, so it's it's kind of this hyper thing that's going on that uses adobe after effects um kind of look in the videos i'm explaining it very badly but it's kind of it's a world that i'm not really part of yeah but the the, the music bubbles through and it really makes me smile a lot so hyperpop and i know there's there's other sub genres of that but i don't I, th- those feel too far away from where i should be walking that's that's like definitely young people's like party type of area and i would look very odd standing around there going oh i love this sub genre of hyperpop so hyperpop is about the level i go to but i do try to i do try to keep up with with what the modern edges of music are. But then I find myself being drawn back to like Vaporwave and, and things like that. But I try. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of do too. I Being on the radio <clears throat> a couple times a week, I tend to play rap. I have a rap show that I do with some guys that keeps me in touch with rap music. And like what you've just described as a specific style, like as hyper pop, I hear that in rap too. Um, and I think it's pretty... It, I, I wonder how much of that is like influencing each other, you know? And cause like current big rap is actually not very interesting, but like the stuff that you can find that's like hyper local. Um, like at one point, you know, all rap seemed to have come from Atlanta, you know, <laughs> now, yeah. now not all rap comes from Atlanta again, or maybe it does in the, in the, in the big scheme of things, I guess. But like from whenever you're kind of digging through, like you find that, Oakland has its own scene. Detroit has its own scene. Houston has a scene. You know, all these places have their own scene and they all have their own sound. And it's gone back yeah. to being like hyper, hyper localized. Whereas like before it was like, nobody was from anywhere. We're all just from the internet, you know? And so. Yeah. I think hyper pop uh, originated. There was just like one discord server with about 20 people in or, or playing around to the sound that, that kind of then exploded out of there. That's my understanding of it. anyway. There's obviously, going to be other aspects to it but but you're right about there being this movement coming out from a small group of people i mean it's happened all the time in in the art world and in the literature world and you, you sort of reference and you go oh here's all these people yeah that turned out they all lived at the same time and they all went to the same pub or the same bar or hung out in the same place and nothing has changed in that respect uh, and then it sort of spreads out and get homogenized mm-hmm, that's kind of it yeah that's how it works out i mean <clears throat> We were talking earlier about how also UX UI um, gets homogenized in on the internet, and how everything just sort of at some point just gets taken over. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, yeah, go on. No, go, go ahead. No, no yeah, we're we're talking uh, a little bit pre-show about because because we're both old, so I I remember you keep mentioning I that. remember. I know, I know, but I assume all your listeners are all youngsters, so we have to stop that. But I, I remember with great fondness uh, GeoCities, which were all these rotating GIFs animated, rotating all around, and pixels, and then you'd be like, welcome to my homepage, and sign my guest book. And it oh, was, it, on, a, on an art point of view, would say it's very low brow. 
but it did allow people if you wanted your own website you would have to like do a little bit of html and then you'd change your cursor so it had trails of sparkles behind it or something and then that slowly got turned into myspace where you kind of had a framework to operate in but you could still change the html a little bit and then that got rounded off into facebook where everything just looks the same yeah and that was kind of taking people being able to create their own spaces and then getting caught you know this this corporation would come in and that was like the web 2 the start of web 2 is all exciting because it was about building apis and computers that could share information to you're in a walled garden and then the start of web 3 is that sudden escape from the walled garden again it's like people it's decentralized we're not controlled by facebook we're in control of our own artwork our own uh, our, our own space and then you suddenly get this I don't mean this in a bad way, but this kind of lowbrow uh, art where pe- it's kind of punk, where people get to do their their own thing, and then the people from outside are looking at it, going, "Well, this looks disastrous." Um, you have it in technology with fashion. So, uh, like ten years ago, if you were producing clothing, you would have to have a minimum run of fifty or a hundred. So you couldn't just make yourself a t-shirt. But now you can just order yourself like a hoodie off the internet with your own pattern on it. And you always have to have this idea of like pizza slices all over it, like that pepperoni pizza hoodie. <laughs> and the, the sort of the demonstrations of them are these really ugly things. But again, it's people being able to control their own fashion. They want to be able to to be able to do it themselves, but don't necessarily have the skills of like a high level fashion designer. So you kind of just put something together and and then it's yours. And that's, that's, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of, to me, the start of web three, a lot of the aesthetic of web three is people again, who grew up with club penguin and have a hotel and things like that being escaping away from Facebook that's for boomers or, or all the websites that tell you how to display your content to suddenly being able to have it themselves. So a lot of it, like the PFPs, to to me, you know, with my artistic eye, look kind of ugly. But I really enjoy the fact that they're just anybody, anybody can kind of do them. And eventually with Web3, you know, with these galleries come in, the, all the rough corners will be smoothed off. And then it will be the corporations will take control a little bit because it happens all the time. And we can't know what Web 4 is going to be, but we know how Web 3 will end, and that's it all looking the same. And then the start of Web 4 will be people somehow escaping all of that again through aesthetics, through music, through art, through their actions. But I can't predict the the technological world we'll live in at that point, but it will be amazing. Mm, It'll be different. But, you know, I'm I'm looking here, um, and I got a message um, in the the chat here that asks... um, with all the tech people that are being laid off, do you think that this is going to change the market? That's a really solid question because I think a lot of people got into this at the time when COVID was happening, right? And they had like a little bit more time on their hands. And now that this is sort of like this massive sort of rounds of layoffs are occurring, they're cutting all of this stuff back. Do you think that this is going to affect how that, how we see this? Well, I mean, a recession will always affect the market a bit and yeah i agree in COVID times when remote working is happening lots of people in the technology area are traditionally uh, like really well paid so they often have a lot of surplus money 
this spare time in COVID and they're interested in the cutting edge. So they had the ability to invest and spend in it. And I imagine if you're suddenly getting laid off, the last thing you want to do is, is invest in art. Although I don't think, let me think about this a little bit more. If we're looking at the Tezos where you can buy art for $5, $2, you know, $10 or something, that still, that still doesn't cost you much. And it is still good to, you still want to surround yourself and feel some control. And uh, yeah, you still want to surround yourself with art. I don't think that will go away. And I think the Tezos chain is an interesting way for people to do that. So obviously, I, I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I think, yes, it will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I certainly don't creators. have the, the knowledge or experience to to predict whatever i say i'm gonna i'm gonna get it wrong but yeah sure i think it will yeah i think it will too i think actually it'll bring like a good i think it'll bring a bunch more creators in actually for a short period Mm -hmm. who are going to dip their toes in it and try because what else are they going to do you know (laughs) you can only look for a job for so long before you're like oh i gotta get this outlet out you know and maybe that changes that maybe we get into more builders maybe we get better front-end stuff you know, for yeah. some of this. Yeah, you're probably right to sort of... Because I used to work um, at Yahoo. I, I was building Flickr at the time, the, the Ooh, photo sharing Flickr. website. And uh, and when you're when you're inside the organization, you suddenly slow down. Things, things take a lot longer. So I imagine as horrible as it is for all these people to be laid off, they're suddenly going to have a lot of experience of working with tech stacks but without the the huge um, infrastructure, the huge structure around them that that is slowing them down. So maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe there will be an explosion in like groups of five or six of those people all getting together and then suddenly looking at this Web three and 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 bringing their skill to it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe you know. Yeah, like you said, it's impossible to predict the future. But I, yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought it through like that because it's it's a, it's a high probability. I mean that there's going to be at least some people who are going to, you know, step out on their own and be like, you know, over there I was doing this and it sucked, but I know how to do it and I could maybe do it better if I did it my way, you know? And so maybe if you are a person who's in that world and you've just gotten laid off and you're listening to this podcast somehow, maybe this is, <laughs> maybe we're giving you the, 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 the go ahead to go in and fix the UI on some of these things. All these, like I said before, all the DeFi stuff looks exactly the same. And so maybe you could go in and change it. I don't know. I don't know how you'd change it. It's, <laughs> it's basically like, I would have swapped this for this. Okay, cool. You know, <laughs> it's just not like a whole lot that you really need to put into that, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like that's kind of one of those no no real way of knowing but it is a nice thing who's your favorite artist right now that you've been buying art from uh my favorite artist right now that i've been art from i you've put me on the spot because i am going to get her name wrong Uh-oh. um but she, she's done the i don't have my laptop here it's alexia uh you gotta have to because i just know people from their little avatar icons uh-huh <laughs> If if you look on my FX hash, I got like one of each of her pieces. She's, uh, I'm not going to be able to 
let, let me just have a look at my own FX hash profile. Yeah. And I'm on my phone here, so this so is it's someone really who's bad. Been putting stuff out over there on on the FX hash, and so that's what you're spending your your time thinking about is that kind of stuff, stuff from FX hash. Is that where your most yeah, I, collection is? Yeah, let me go. Let me go through. Just we'll just keep chatting for a while. It's okay. just all fine. We're just we're just filling time. All oh, right. So uh, it's Alexandra, uh-huh. um, and her pieces. I'm just going to look at them now. because because I know she has Alexandra. So she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's been. So she's done the Chrome Chrome Atlas. Yeah, the Chrome Atlas series. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. So building up that and then seeing some of her photos and when she's doing um, a test prints to so almost like a whole big book where she's got these full big pages and then this really thin like vellum transparent paper that also has prints on yeah. the way she's mixing that physical object of a book with her digital artwork. And I really wanted to make sure that I got her name right. So it's Alexandra, I think. Yep. Yeah. But, but the, the Chroma Atlas stuff, I think is great. Um, Amy Goodchild, mm-hmm. um, uh, Anna, who does the art for public spaces. Anna Lucia. Yeah. Lucia. yeah. yeah. Is, is fantastic. Yeah. Is your collection really big? No, no, it isn't. It actually isn't. There's, there's some, there's, I just buy what I like um, and what sort of interests me. So I've missed out on a lot of the theoretical grails. Um, <laughs> and, and also sometimes I'm, I'm really stressed and not really stressed, but I'm really busy. So I don't get a chance to always look. And it always seems whenever I jump into Discord, people going, oh, I can't believe that thing sold out in two seconds flat. And I was like, oh, I guess I missed that one then. Yeah. But then I'll go back into the secondary market and, and pick things up now and then. Um, yeah, so, so that's what I tend to do. Yeah, things tend to have a way of coming back down whenever they go up. Some don't. Yeah, yeah. Some go and just keep going, and then those just become, like, you know, in, unachievable for most people. Yeah, or, I just I just right-click save those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a whole folder of that stuff. If you want, yeah, I can send it over to you, and you can take a look. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like a map stuff for art. It's a kind of funny idea that I used to, I actually used to have huge, massive folders of, of art. You know, like I would go through and I'd be like, wow, I've never seen that Basquiat. And I would just right click and save it, you know, and like, oh, or I'd never seen that before. And I would right click, save it. And then, you know, somehow it would end up getting put onto a hard drive that just got, you know, at some other point put onto another hard drive. And then yeah, it- I, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm really enjoying having a digital frame. I've got a Samsung frame up on my wall. Cool. And then that, that cycles through art that I have in a folder and I keep changing the art in there. So so instead of them living on the hard drive or wherever, I actually get to sit here and it's just up to my right. So I constantly have this artwork displaying there and changing, rotating. Nice. And I, I think that's an amazing thing. But Do, I, I think I need some more digital frames. Is it only artwork that you own the NFT of, or is it just like anything in general that you've just right-clicked? No, it, it, it's stuff that I right-click saved. <laughs> yeah. There's sometimes sometimes it's my own work when I'm working on things I'll put my own work up there sometimes because it, it sort of it sits differently when it's just in the background uh, than it is when you're directly looking at it on your screen like something will suddenly strike you but um, but yeah some some of it's just right click save stuff and some of it is artwork I own it depends on my mood really yeah but all, always being surrounded by art is something I always want to uh, experience 
and this is a lovely way of doing it yeah it is i mean i have a lot of art up in my flat like i get i print a lot i make i make a lot <laughs> so sometimes yeah. for, I, I trade a lot you know and so i ended up i end up having a whole bunch of artwork and i and i get more and i'm constantly getting more for my house as well as in my in fact today i went and picked up a sh upward spiral from schwitlick that was awesome um, I've been wanting to get one of those for a very long time and now I got one. So, yeah. And I like having that kind of thing. And I don't have a Samsung frame. I have like an LG smart TV. And so sometimes I'll just put like a piece up and let it go. But I've got a frame sitting in a box here that doesn't, that belongs to Toymento. That's going to be for this exhibition that opens next week. And I keep thinking like, why have I let it sit down here for a month? Why didn't I just have it in my flat and just have, just be using it, just turn it on, you know, but not, nah, it's, it's, it's just too big, I guess, to do that. I don't know. <laughs> rambling, rambling about the damn Samsung frame that I've looked at it in this box for a month now. And the, the, the heart though is, is to, yeah, is to be surrounded by art. And, and I think, I think as an artist, you you have to. They, they, some artists have this worry that if they see somebody else's art and it's a little bit too like what they were thinking, that they're like, oh no, now I'm going to be accused of copying it. Yeah. But th there's always room to there's 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 always room for several people to all work on the same similar idea. Otherwise, you wouldn't have like watercolor landscapes and things like that. So I, I had the, there was a moment when I was a bit like that, going, oh, I mustn't look at other people's artwork, otherwise it'll influence me too much. But now I'm very much. I'm going to surround myself with as much other people's art as I possibly can because it is good for my soul. You know, I made a series of paintings at one point that were paintings that I had seen in movies or TV shows. And like the, when I started it, I was, I'd made like three and then I realized, wait, I remember that that's from this show. <laughs> I didn't yeah. start it like out of that. It was that, that those things that influenced me. Hey Dan, this has been a really great time talking, but we're about to have to come to an end here. Um, which is uh, pretty crazy and we've been on the on this for an hour and I didn't even realize it I just glanced up a minute a few minutes ago and was like oh my god we have five minutes left it's funny pretty funny um it was really really nice to talk to you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure yeah it's good and I'm really glad that you know we kind of not that we came to any conclusions concerning how com you know community curation is going to occur but at least we've kind of get it out there a little bit more that you know we're not yeah, but any, anybody who's interested in curation, I mean, I tweeted ages ago about some books, but there are a few good books. I'm not going to list them now, but uh, like, well, a good starting one is the A to Z of curation. But if anybody's interested in curation, there is a lot more to it than just matching colors. And there are some good resources out there that you can go, oh, this is a career or this is something I want to find out much more about. And you can dive into it and increase your your skill and your knowledge in the area. So it's definitely something that you can do and something that will be in demand in the future if you are interested in in that aspect of art. Maybe you send me a, some show notes, some, some um things and i'll put them in the show notes well hey dan sure. thank you so much uh people if you've been listening to this on keithfm.com and you've enjoyed what you've been listening to there's a nice yellow donate button there you can click it donate help us out we are we completely operate on donations um here at keith fm and uh, if you have a tez wallet and you want to shoot a little bit over uh, we accept tokens and Tez, which I convert to cash and give to the 
Radio. Uh, that pot that is I don't like podcasts.tez, which was given to me by Ozzy one night. Anyway, Dan, thanks a lot so much, and thank you very much for listening. I'm Ken. This has been arbitrarily deterministic. Bye. Bye.